Jewish Money Matters, episode 263, Ask Yael. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush. Welcome to another episode of Ask Yael, Friday, July 15th, 2022, entering the three-week period. I just read something beautiful that a friend wrote about the pain, the painful period we're entering in entering in entering to this this Sunday actually will be the fast commemorating the 17th day of Thomas which actually falls on Shabbat but since we don't fast on Shabbat then we will be fasting on Sunday did you know about that fast fun not so fun Jewish fact the 17th day of Thomas when the walls of Jerusalem were breached by the Romans uh, begins the period of mourning of the three weeks as I said it's known as Bain Hametzarim between the straits because it was the three weeks of stress and commotion I guess and horror from the time of the breach of the walls till the burning of the temple in Jerusalem three weeks later on the 9th of Av so that's where we're headed in the Jewish calendar. There's a little Jewish lesson for you. All right, but we're here to learn about money too, aren't we? Okay, <laughs> so a few updates. This week, I had Rabbi Shmuel Reichman on the show, and he definitely taught us a lot about money. This episode is actually fabulous, and if you didn't catch it yet, well, I'm letting you know that it's there. Do so, because you will gain a deeper understanding on the role of money and on the pursuit of greatness, actually. If you're an entrepreneur, particularly one who generates revenue from influence, thought leadership, etc., I think this episode will be particularly enlightening uh, and you'll be able to relate to a lot of what Rabbi, what Rabbi Reichman said. Anyways, head over to the um, podcast app and catch that episode. That's Monday. I also had a mini-sode on trust on Bitachon, which um, we talked about what happens when we don't trust. Um, it was explained the spiritual dynamic that takes place in terms of concealment and revelation of godliness in our lives, obviously based on the gate of trust. It's only a few minutes long, so you can catch that also. All right, so that's um, housekeeping, what's been going on here on the podcast. I mean, there's much more. I was on a podcast this week. I recorded podcasts. I worked on a neat gift for you. Actually, that's a good one. I, I, I have to say that I heard, I heard you. I really heard you. And I revised and I simplified. Um, I should say I really simplified what I had once created as a money date guide. You know, I'm a big fan of these money dates. Bearing in mind that it was just way too robust, but really robust is not the word. It felt on the on the on the recipient side, it felt too overwhelming. It was too much information, um, and too overwhelming to tackle without being personally handheld by me or another coach. Like there, there there's a lot of resistance. Sometimes we have to give people things in bite sizes. Um, and I frankly, I would think it was deterring some people from even giving the money data shot because I was literally giving them so much that 
they hit the resistance understandably so and so instead I worked on creating something that I really like and I think will be very very useful I'm very proud of it and very motivating for women to get started on a money date on the money date journey and that is the 10 tips for money date success and you can download that for free at yaeltrush.com forward slash money date um so that's a new free gift for you. I hope it makes the transition or the um, introduction into this practice a little bit easier. I mean, not that any of the other information is not valid. It's just more of something that one would have to have somebody, you know, kind of work you through that. But as an introduction, I think the 10 tips are really, really good. I, I, I also worked really hard making sure that you get emails from me that support you through that journey because I recognize again that it's not an easy one and I'm experienced enough by now to know not just the success tips but also the pitfalls and the challenges that you'll encounter along the way so I've made sure to provide you with email support one you've down once you've downloaded this freebie these 10 tips for success on the for money date success so that you don't fall prey to those common pitfalls and challenges and you really succeed. All right. So if that made you curious, which I hope it did, um, all you have to do is head over to yaeltrush.com forward slash money and opt in to receive my 10 tips for money date success. Let's head over to the Apple podcast review section. This time, let's pick a reviewer from another country. As I mentioned, I've recently discovered how to get a hold of those since Apple podcast won't show them in the US Apple podcast app or website. So I, there's like a little trick where I have to alter the country code in the URL. So let's pick one from Canada. And this listener from Canada says, inspiring and, and helpful. Yeah, Elle has a wonderful heart for women and her topics and guests are always inspiring conversations. You won't regret subscribing to this podcast. Thank you. Well, that is from Brilly's 79. That's our listener or Brellies. I don't know. If you're still with us after a couple of years, it's been a while since you left this review. Um, please let me know. And I'm sorry that I did not know until recently that you had left a five star review back in July of wait for it 2018. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Hopefully you hopefully hopefully you're still here and the show is still relevant and inspiring to you. Send me an email at yael at yaeltrush.com or DM me at yaeltrush and let me know that you're Brellis79 and we'll schedule a time to connect on the phone. All right, let's go into the mailbag. The first question that we have today comes from Laray. Laray, I really hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. And she says, Thank you for the great podcast. I enjoy them so much. I am planning on selling my home soon. Instead of buying another home right away, I plan on renting until the market cools down. How should I invest the money from the sale of my home so it's available in a year or two? Good question. And I think this one is top of mind for many people. All right. So Larray, if this money is earmarked to be used in a year or two, I would keep it in a pretty kind of safe on sexy vehicle, because you need this money ready for you in a short amount of time. Um, so I won't I wouldn't put it in the stock market, given the time horizon, I really would not put it in the stock market. And so you may want to consider one of two options. Number one, you can leave it in a high you can put it in a high yield savings account, granted, you're not going to make much money on that any money on that. In fact, with inflation being higher than what the high yield account pays you, you're more likely to be sort of losing Yeah, losing money, which then brings us to option number two, I bonds. They are very popular right now. 
for good reason. And let me tell you what they are. I-bonds are a US government issued savings bond that earns interest based on a com- combining a fixed rate and an inflation rate. So the rate that you received on your bond is a combination of a fixed rate, rate that stays the same for the life of the bond and an inflation rate that is set twice a year. And with inflation being high now, they have become pretty attractive, right? So the rate right now for I-bonds issued from May 2022 through October 2022 is 9.62%. Now, I just saw that inflation is estimated to be at 8.5 now, but it may be a little higher. So that still puts us, puts you somewhat ahead. I mean, the idea really is that you, your cash preserves value against inflation. Okay. So that's the idea. Now, a few things to keep in mind are number one, that your money is locked up for one year. So really the I-bonds are going to be earning interest for 30 years unless you cash them first, but you can cash them only after one year up during that time, the U S government has your money. Additionally, if you cash them before five years, you lose the, the previous three months of interest. So if you cash an I bond after let's say 18 months, you get the first 15 months of interest instead of the full 18 months of interest, which again, might not be such a deal breaker. It's not a big deal, but you know, just note that the money is tied up for one year. Um, So again, it has to be money that you don't need within the year. Number two, another thing to consider that it's going to impact your decision is that you can only put $10,000 in I-bonds in a year. So every individual. So that's just $10,000 of the profit from the sale of your home. Keep that in mind because then that would leave you the rest of the money to probably put in a high yield savings account. Okay. And you would buy those directly through the U.S. Treasury at treasurydirect.gov. Um, I mean, hopefully you're in the US and you have a taxpayer ID number. I didn't, I don't know where you are, but this answer would only apply if you are here. So, but I assume that you are. Okay. So, um, again, for the rest of your money, you can look at a high yield savings account and make sure that you do shop around and you compare rates and you see if they, you know, if they offer you any perks for transferring other money to their banking institution. And also be sure to find out about any rules, any fees, um, any deposits that you're required to make, um, during, over the course of the year, et cetera. Um, so again, this money, this is money that you need in the short term. So don't think of it as money that you'll be investing. You just want to park it in a safe and liquid enough place so that you can have access to it when you need. And you want to try to protect it against inflation as much as possible, right? All right. Thanks, Lorray. Question number two comes from Ellen. Actually, this question, she asked it on YouTube. Did you know that I have a YouTube channel? I I hope you do, um, because I do. (laughs) You can now find all the podcast episodes, well, not all 262 of them, but many of them on YouTube, as well as other classes and other podcast appearances. And that's going to be youtube.com forward slash Yael Trush. So Ellen asked on the top on the episode um, with mortgage broker Rich Bond, she had a question on that. She says, I would love to know what he says to self-employed people about income markers before buying a house. It seems so hard to decide what I can afford when I don't know how my income may change in the future. Great question. This is really, um, you know, something that most most of us who have variable income uh, have to deal with and struggle with. So I went ahead and I asked Rich, since you weren't really asking me, Ellen, and also because I know what I would say, but I was curious what he would answer. So let me tell you what he said. 
He said, briefly, if you are self-employed, not only should you have reserves for yourself, but you also need to have reserves in your business as well. I would recommend keeping a larger cushion than most people keep in their emergency fund. Also, it truly depends on your business, how long it is established and the type of business. If you have a business building balloon walls for parties, the business is newer and you do not have a long established client base that will be there through the storms, I would recommend being more conservative, having even more reserves and really taking a look at your survival number, whether you are renting or owning. All right. So Ellen, I think that what he's saying is that at the end of the day, what you need is to have a cushion to be able to afford this house, this mortgage really, in the event that your business has a few dry months spells. And that of course, will depend on the nature of your business and of the cash flow of that business. So those of us who are self-employed need to build a more robust cushion, cushion in general, because we don't rely on a steady paycheck. And in particular, if we're looking to prove to the bank that we're likely to be able to pay this mortgage, right? So good luck, Ellen, and let me know if you have any follow-up questions on that. The next question is from Alisa, and she says, I think you mentioned once that mutual funds are not a good choice because of high expense ratios. We currently have FXAIX, which is a mutual fund with a 0.02% expense ratio. So is this an exception? Or are many mutual funds actually okay in this area? The reason it came up for me is I was looking at ETFs as an alternative and found to my surprise that ETF purchases cannot be automated. So specifically for someone who wants the reliability of automated transfers to fund their index fund investments, it would seem that mutual funds are the only option. Okay, Elisa, this is a great question, nuanced, and I'm glad you asked it. You're really thinking this through because, yes, there can be a bit of confusion in the use of terms in the language. So let me just try to break it down for uh, for, for us. Uh, mutual funds are a very broad category, which includes actively managed funds, which are those funds that I always tell you guys are more expensive and you have to really watch out for those expense ratios and can also include passively managed funds, um, funds that track an index, AKA index funds. The fund that you're investing in, Alisa, FXAIX, is such a fund. It's Fidelity's 500 index fund, which, yes, as you said, has a low expense ratio and nice double-digit yield. It is a mutual fund, but it's not an actively managed fund. It's a passive fund that just mimics the S&P 500. So back to the language issue or the misnomer, you can have an ETF that tracks an index or a mutual fund that tracks an index. FXIX, like I said, is a mutual fund that tracks an index. That means that as opposed to the traditional actively managed mutual funds, this is a mutual fund that is passive. It's just built to mimic and track the S&P 500. No one is actively buying or selling the securities inside the fund, and that is good. That's exactly what you want. You wanna invest in index funds. You may do it by way of ETFs or by way of mutual funds designed as index funds. Now, then the question is, what is the difference between owning an ETF that tracks the index and a mutual fund that tracks the index? All right, so the main difference is that ETFs can be traded throughout the day, just like an individual stock, whereas mutual funds can only be traded at the end of the trading day. It's not something that the average investor really needs to be concerned with, in my opinion. Um, and then there's 
a few other differences with regards to minimum investment amounts um, and maybe some tax efficiencies. Um, but to keep it simple, just note that main difference um, that I just stated and note that you are in fact investing in an index fund, which is exactly what you want. So the confusion really is that the word mutual fund is often used as a catch all for actively managed funds. And I make I, I do that all the time. But now I, I, you're right. I have said it like that on the show many times. So the nowadays, the, the situation is different because there are mutual funds such as the one that you own, Elisa, which are passively managed funds that just track an index. They want to be they want to be or they want to mimic the index instead of trying to beat the index as an actively managed mutual fund aims to do. So I hope that clarified it. Now, as to this part of your question regarding automating your investments in ETFs, can you automate investments in ETFs? The answer is it depends what platform you use. If you use a robo advisor, which will build a portfolio of diversified ETFs based on questions you answer on the platform regarding your goals and risk tolerance, then yes. <clears throat> Basically, the computer is going to do everything for you. It's based on an algorithm. Once you set that up, you set up your automations and you're good to go. The algorithm is going to do everything for you. An online broker, however, for the most part, will work a little bit differently in the sense that you can't automate investing in ETFs, but you can automate investing into your mutual fund or funds, which, as we said, can be index funds if that's what you choose, similar to what you find in an ETF. Now, the thing is that online brokers, often called discount brokers, by the way, sometimes do offer robo-advisory services, but not always. They are mainly platforms that do not build an automatic portfolio for you and where you do have to do more of hands-on investing and rebalancing of your portfolio and even some tax harvesting. But as I said, whereas with a robot advisor, you wouldn't have to do any of that. But as I said, today, there are online brokers who also act as robo advisors. They give you both options. So just to specify it with a few names that you know, you might be familiar with, who are some robo advisors that you may have heard of and who are some online brokers who also offer robo-advisory services in addition to their regular brokerage service. Betterment is a robo-advisor, okay? That's what they do. Fidelity is a broker, and it's an online broker as well, that offers also offers robo-advisory services. Same thing with Vanguard. Vanguard is also an online broker who offers robo-advisory services. Same with Charles Schwab. So, no, mutual funds are not the only option if you want the reliability of automated transfers. They are the option if you're using a classic online broker. Um, but if you're using a robo-advisor or the robo-advisor advisory option within your online broker, then you will be able to automatically invest into ETFs, exchange-traded funds. So I hope that was somewhat clear and clarifies I have to say, Elisa, this was a great observation and I'm glad you brought it up. I, I mean, I really, I seriously have a very savvy audience. Listen to these questions. You definitely keep me on my toes and I appreciate that. So thanks to Larray, Ellen and Elisa for the wonderful questions. And thanks to our reviewer of the week. Um, I will be back here Monday with a wonderful Bobby Rebel, someone I've only dreamt of having on the show for years. She has a new book out launching financial grownups. And so parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, we will be talking about helping those young adults transition into 
financial independence, <laughs> cutting the umbilical cord, so to speak. So stay tuned for that. Keep those questions coming via DM, email, or WhatsApp. And please, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast platform and you might get picked next week or in the coming weeks to have a 20-minute call with me. Have a Shabbat Shalom and if you're fasting, an easy fast.